Welcome back to the UOG Men's Rugby Podcast. I'm Sam, by the way, and Charlie Hines is back with me today for episode five or six, episode six of season two of the podcast. Um, Charlie, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, episode six, that's... How many did we get through the first season? Ten, I think we got to. Oh, so we've still got a bit of a way to go. Still got a bit of a way to go, but yeah. I think Pl- Plenty of the year left, yeah. though, so... Plenty of the year left, yeah. Um, yeah, and today we've got three guests, so we've gone up from one to three. Um, we've got two netballers t- who play for Seven Stars and UOG Netball. We've also got Will Safe, who ex-Glarpre player, ex-Gloucester player, who now <laughs> plays for Hartpre, does some coaching at Old Pats and also did some coaching with us last year. We actually recorded that interview on Wednesday. It's now Friday, so let you in behind the scenes of that. So here's a little chat we had with Will Safe. So... Um, well, just before we start, really, do you want to just kind of introduce yourself and explain to everyone who you are and what you do, essentially? Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm World 24 now. Um, been at Gloucester Rugby since um, I was six, 15. Um, so signed in the academy there when I was 18, stayed there for, for five years. Um, been on loan to various champ clubs, uh, and now I'm signed at Hartbury RFC in champ. So, obviously you joined an academy at quite a young age, like you said, 15. Yeah. So what was it like growing up playing academy rugby in such a strong rugby area like Gloucester? So it was quite competitive, obviously. Um, I remember the only reason I ended up going into the academy was because because of county trials. So. We ended up doing like the district, county, then I got into the southwest trial area, and then Billy Clark, the academy manager at the time, was like, Oh, do you want to just come down um join the academy? So I didn't have a clue like what to do or anything. So I just went for the first session and just just kind of like joining in, cracking on from there, sort of thing. And um, and then it just kind of took on. So from there, it was like we didn't really play any games, I think we played three games the next season. And like an under 18 setup, um, and then after that, they introduced the under 18 academy league, and then it just means you could showcase yourself against kind of like the best players of your age group and everything. Um, so you ended up playing quite a lot of rugby for essentially like Gloucester, but obviously not getting paid, but you still had that, I guess, that honor of doing it. Um, and then from that, I guess, I was just like lucky enough to to get selected for the England 18 squad and from then I just managed to get a contract as well so how difficult is it to stand out in an under 18 team in an under 18s league when I presume you have so many high quality players all playing to such a high standard um I think I think it's done basically like more on, on like your genetics in a sense saying I mean some boys be class rugby players um, but I think a lot of it's just down to how you've grown up and I guess like I, I was quite lucky because I played rugby since I was five um, playing for the old pats and everything so I had quite a good rugby understanding and then just started to use my, my gym ability basically I started to, I was never the strongest but um, I think I was quite smart with what it because there were some big boys because obviously in 18 people developed so many different levels um you have the, the strongest people um 
that would be big and strong, but sometimes won't be the smartest. There were more like athletes than rugby players, and then you get other people that were never the biggest, and they had to be a little bit smarter in how they played. So um, I was never the biggest as a forwards, but I, I did, did jiu-jitsu when I was younger, so I think I had like a martial arts background, which helped me in terms of manipulating my size to beat some of these bigger people. Who, we, um, who was in that Gloucester team, that England under-18s team, that is still at that top level in today's... Uh, so my, <laughs> my age group, uh, so Sam Underhill's in there, uh, Lloyd Evans. Uh, um, we had a few people come from Hartbury, so like the likes of Joe Batley, who's at Worcester now. Um, just trying to think who else. Um, but... Yeah, I guess in England, England 18s, you had um, Rotomy Segan, who's at Surrey's, um, Harry Malinder, who's at Northampton, um, Jack Walker, who's at Bath, Lewis Boyce, who's at Bath. Um, so all the boys that were kind of in that England 18 setup are all still playing like top level rugby. Mm. Obviously, it's like, that's like the high, high standard of the where you people have gone from that, but yourself, you play in, in the championship with Hartbury. And how difficult has the last year or so been with the COVID pandemic, not being able to play much rugby or not even tra- being able to train at times for you? I think mainly it's been more frustrating than difficult because like, especially like the champ, we played our last game uh, in March and then we went to go play London Scottish away on the Friday, I think it was the 15th of March or something, it got canned literally two days before. Um, and then and obviously yeah, we, haven't, we haven't played since, but the fact that the Prem could still carry on and the champ couldn't was, I think, was more frustrating than anything because you could see all these people were still managing to play, but, but we couldn't because the league just wasn't there. And I know as well coaching, the fact like boys can't play it's it's definitely frustrating because there's a social element to it as well obviously like it's a good time to see your mates um just have a bit of a laugh like check a rugby ball around and, and just enjoy yourself but yeah we've been lucky enough because we're classed as that elite so now we're training it's just been the longest pre-season ever i think we started in in july like end of july so we've literally just been been going going since then really yeah, go on, what what do you make of the way they've adapted the championship for this year then to kind of get it moving quite quickly i mean it, it again it's for strength because it's a shortened season but we've only got a short amount of time now so they had to do something um there was thought i know um that we would have done, done this split league anyway which played one other team home away on the other league once so it ended up having like more games it's just not feasible now uh, with the amount of if we want to try and get this season completed and then have that time off ready for next season as well you just won't be able to get the 22 games in that you'd normally have so again like I said it is just frustrating but it's it's the only way it can work because a lot of champ clubs aren't funded by these um, millionaires or these rich people that can bankroll the club um you can see even prem clubs are struggling now because they're not bank- bankrolled like football clubs are like so um without having the fans it's it's tough 
Like so we have to rely on bailouts from the government, from Sport England. Um, hopefully they come through because then it means we can actually get a season going, prove ourselves. Because I know there's so many players that in champ clubs that can play professionally at, at that elite level again. Like I know a lot of boys have jumped down. Um, people like uh, uh, Harry Sloan, who's been at Ealing for the last few years, signed at Saris at the back end of last year, so played the Prem and he was at Harlequins before. So like boys can just dip and go back. I think it's a very good, good breeding ground for for top rugby, top level rugby. Yeah, I think that's really been the case, like stressed over the last few years. With we've seen many players and like the England squad that have had quite a lot of championship experience. Is it was that? Do you feel part of a really key part of getting rugby back going, ensuring the championship kept going instead of obviously it's good to have the Premiership going, but championships kind of it's getting close to that grassroots level that people can really relate to. Yeah. Um... Like I said, though, it was just more about, like the funds. Yeah. We so I know so so many clubs like that rely on fans. So people like Bedford, um, they they have such a high fan base. Like every time you go, the stadium's full. And obviously, in these times, you can't you can't get away with that because of social distancing. So they'd rather have to limit the fans, which means they'd lose a hell of a chunk of money, or not have any more, not have any at all, and they lose uh, even more money. So. I mean, I guess the first thing is safety first, because like we don't know what this virus can do to do to you. Like I've, we've seen, healthy people have, have died from it, unfortunately. Um, so I think first things like safety first, but again, like it's frustrating. But rugby's not not your life, so you just gotta kind of get over it, sort of thing. So moving kind of to the point with players coming through, like yourself, back at Gloucester. Gloucester and Hartley have quite a history of producing some top quality Premiership players. You can see an array of them across the Premiership at the moment. Yeah. What What is the, kind of the secret behind all their success with their youngsters? I think they, they attract a lot of um, talent at Hartley just because of the names that have already come out there. So you go back a few years, um, the likes of like Dan Robson, uh, Ross Moriarty, the big names that have suddenly just come now into that international stage we're at Hartbury five six years ago or even longer um but that's why Hartbury then attracts and then Gloucester are lucky enough because it's with their feeder club they're lucky enough to pick the best best ones that they they see fit to then progress higher and we see it now that people that have been at Hartbury that then gone through Gloucester are now thriving at the other prem clubs so the likes of Harry Randall Dan Thomas at Bristol Joe Batley at Worcester uh, Ross now at, in Newport, Dan Robson at Wasps, Stuky at Bath. Um, so I think they're just lucky that they've got that that feeder club that attracts so much talent that they can handpick and then keep. I guess essentially. Can it Gloucester? I was going to say, can it not cause quite a few issues? Because we've seen, obviously, they've had a lot of players to pick from that are great quality and young players coming through but then you see young players that aren't perhaps getting that opportunity at Gloucester and then they go to other clubs and then they seem to succeed yeah I found that um, yeah just looking at players in, in the positions like 
I guess all the young player wants is game time. And if they're not going to get it, they will just go somewhere else. I think loyalty's kind of gone now, I think, in, in rugby these days. Like, you, you don't really see um, a club man who's played 200 appearances, um, been there for five, six, seven years. It's gone, kind of gone, like, if I'm not going to get game time, if someone else will offer me a contract, I want to go there and play. For, play like, at the end of the day, all we want to do is just play. So, yeah, it's tough. Like, and I reckon it, it's going to happen at a lot of clubs because you see movement happens all the time. Um, like, like I say, if you're not going to get game time, that's the only thing you want as a as a player because that's the whole reason you start the sports you played and you enjoyed it. So you're you're going to try and go somewhere else if you if you're not playing. Was that kind of when you decided to join Hartbury permanently? Was that kind of a bit of a conflict as with your emotions obviously because Gloucester Premiership and you played for them quite a few times having to kind of move on um, I guess like at first I was a bit gutted um, that I had to move but last season I ended up playing every single game and I had the best best time for a long, long time, and I really enjoyed my rugby again because I was playing just week in, week out. Um, we ended up playing at Cardiff to Newcastle, playing them four times. Um, played some like, good games. We had a tough game against Ealing, um, but I ended up playing every every week, and I was just happy to be playing again. I mean, like in those um, academy setups, you, you get limited game time. You've got to take your opportunities when you can. So playing in the A-League every three weeks, maybe going on to loan to a, a champ or a national one club every so often is it's, it's good because you're playing, but it's not consistent. So you, you never know when you're going to be playing. And then when it comes to the top opportunities, if, you, if you're not on, um, on top form, next week they'll just pick the, uh, the starting players again. So it's a tough one. It's, it's just going to be a vicious circle. So that's why I think it's key. But players do get loans to these champ clubs, these national one clubs, but they actually go for a season or something and actually get some good experience, expose themselves to that level and come back stronger, fitter, understanding the game a bit better as well. Do you think the championship's really moving to another level now as we saw the result of Ealing against quite an experienced Saracens team at the weekend? Yeah. Um, this, it's so hit and miss uh, seasonal season. You get some teams that were like funded highly and then the next year they're not. So obviously the teams with money are going to be able to attract a higher class of players. So with the likes of eating, they've got ambition as well, but they've got money behind them. Whereas you've got clubs like um, Richmond, Hartbury, like ourselves, we're on part-time contracts. So we're only training two, two, three times a week. And then we've all got other jobs and stuff. So like you will get that. Um, kind of separation in rugby slightly, but I think if you ring fence the champ, I think that like they do in, in France, I think it will only then create a better English rugby structure. Go on, Sam. I'll let you chime in. What have you um, say? Obviously, obviously, um, you've been doing a lot of coaching work yourself. You're doing stuff with mm -hmm. old Pats and doing stuff with us as well at times last yeah. year. How important do you think that that is for a player like yourself to kind of give back to the community where you grew up in learning your rugby? 
Oh, for me, I think it's massively important. Like, if you think I wouldn't be where I am now without the help of those guys. Um, and I think it, it doesn't help you develop other players, but it helps you develop yourself as well. So, like, I can understand like what, what I'm trying to get out of people and how then I can do it in a game sort of thing. So it's, I'm also like self-learning as well as trying to help others get better because like with old Pats as a team game, it's, it's just kind of results based. Like you're trying to win leagues, but again, it's, it's only community rugby. So you're just trying to have fun with it. But um, I, yeah, I think personally, I think it's massive, massively important like to give back. Like, like I say, I wouldn't be anywhere near where I am now if I didn't have the old Pats playing with them, like playing with my mates, um, having the coaches there, like volunteers giving up their time. So I don't think, why can't I give up my time to, to help the club that helped me? How much do you enjoy going back to old Pats? I, I really enjoy it. Like, I've still got a couple of mates that I played there with, um, playing there. Um, I've got people that coached me actually still playing so people in their late 30s early 40s um, still playing so I really enjoy that you've got such a, a good bunch of people um, always want to have fun enjoy themselves like express themselves in the rugby field so yeah I, I can't follow it I, I really I really enjoy it that's it, that's it for me Charles um, with regards to kind of how they're going to get um, grassroots rugby back on its feet what what stages do you think? I know it's a big question. <laughs> what stages do you think are kind of the the way to slowly build it up? Because obviously it's quite a fragile position with no kind of much income for the club. Yeah, uh, I think main thing they'll they'll just now is literally just postpone it till September, which I think they have, and then just keep it local fixtures to start with, because. Uh, you look at the Combination Cup in Gloucestershire, for example, you've got the Cheltenham one, you've got the Gloucester one. They produce some of the best games in local rugby because you've got those local rivalries again. Like, um, for instance, Old Pats versus Cheltenham Tigers is a massive rivalry because so you want to be the best club in Cheltenham. And then it's like uh, Long Levens and I don't know who, but say Matson, big rivalry or something because, again, they just want to be the best club in Gloucester. Or, you know, I know you've got the likes of Cinderford, Hartbury, uh, obviously Gloucester, but in terms of actual grassroots rugby, teams like Matson, Coney Hill, Chosen Hill, uh, Widden Old Boys, Gloucester Old Boys, just going ham and tongue against each other, I think produces some like the best games because you've got mates playing against mates that want to like just give a little, get one up on each other. So I think that'd be the best way to go about it first. Just keep it local to start with, maybe create a little cup competition that way and then after Christmas, then do like a, a slightly shortened league, split league up slightly. So like we have done in the, in the champ, if there's 12 teams, split it just into two and just play each one twice. And then the following year, bring it back to bring it back to normal. I think we've seen also recently about kind of the the backing there is within the rugby community around women's rugby with all the obviously misogynistic abuse that seemed to go yeah. their way, way on sky sports comments on their instagram page how important do you think it is for that also to kind of be invested as much time in as possible to try and push that as much to get it back going on its feet is that just women you saying oh uh, yeah how important is that element as well into investing as much time into getting grassroots women's rugby going again yeah 
that's the only problem with grassroots uh, women's rugby is numbers at the moment. Like, so I, I worked for the RFU um, last year and a big focus was just trying to get women playing the game because we've got at top level, England are doing really well and they're hopefully inspiring other younger generations to, to play, but it's, it's not in school curriculum. So it's always going to have to be an extracurricular activity. So it's always a lot harder to try and get women to play rugby, in my opinion. So I'd, this could be different for everyone else. But um, I, I know everyone I coach, though, they're going on. They've got like all their dance, the netball, hockey. And then again, in school, netball, hockey um, is their curriculum. So they, they don't get much chance to play it. So um, I think it's. A big thing we should use it as a, like a big driving factor to get women's rugby going actually like get more experience into it um get more in, involvement to it so i think it should really get going again what what were those involvements you had kind of with women's rugby so i um i coached uh under 15 girls at chipping Kenham school um they never touched rugby ball before in their lives um but they were they were wicked like two, three weeks in, they catch pass, off chest, bang, just throwing it through their hands, running lines. Um, just, they just understood the game very quickly. Um, and I went to school with um, uh, Millie Wood, who's now up at Gloucester Hartbury, so she's in the, in the prem for, for rugby. Like, I've had a few involvements with it, but it's only been like touch base here and there because around my area so like old parts they don't they say they have a women's team but that hasn't been in use for four or five years i mean because i think the interest isn't there like you've got to get that interest going first before you can create the team i think so we'll see what happens in the next sort of four or five years when uni groups are now starting to come come through finishing uni they might have a little bit more time to play so we'll see what happens yeah hopefully oh, sorry sam go on um, the Premier 15s of the, the women's league is postponed at the minute, like the Prem. And mm -hmm. but there's been talk in the last couple of days about them now being regularly tested, like the Premiership players are. Do you think that would be an important step to kind of obviously they can never be on the same level, but to get yeah. them regularly tested is to have it putting them on yeah, that kind definitely. of the same importance? I think, yeah, it's the same, um, it's the same as us, like they've. I know a lot of them have other jobs. There's only, what, 25, 26 that actually professionally signs through the RFU. Um, so, yeah, a lot of them have other jobs. So if they're going to be, say, a, a teacher, they're going to be going into a school, um, educating 11, 12 kids, because they're key workers' kids. So I think it's massively important they get tested because then it means that the league can run them more efficiently and they can... any positive test they could nip in the bud straight away and try and that spread down as quick as possible brilliant well i think we're done um so thanks a lot for joining us um it's been yeah, really interesting to hear a, hear a different viewpoint from me and charlie just talking so thanks a lot for joining us and yeah enjoy no your evening cheers will and you thanks for me cheers. cheers lads sorry so yeah that was our first interview with will safe that you've just heard from and now it's back to Friday the recording and we've got Chloe and Jane from UOG Netball and the Seven Stars so how are you both doing?
Good, thank, thank you. you. Good. So obviously the netball seasons, unlike some of the other sports, is actually restarting now, and like some sports are kind of stopping and going on to a break. So how's it been, kind of getting back into it after such a long break? Do I go okay? Yeah, you go. Okay. Um, yeah, it was pretty difficult, uh, especially when we first started training, which was back in September. Um, but luckily the coaches and the physio itself were making sure that we ease ourselves back in rather than going full pout and going how we would normally do. Because after having such a long break, it's very prone for injuries and everything. So, uh, yeah, it was daunting, but I we, we were also excited to get back and just to start playing netball because we missed it. And having we hardly had a season because our season didn't start until February and then lockdown happened in March. So, yeah, I'd say we were apprehensive, but we would love to be there. Yeah, definitely. I think um, over lockdown, everyone kept so fit. I think I was the fittest I ever had been. Um, and then I was ready to go straight into netball. But um, unfortunately, I was ended up in hospital with my kidneys. So then I was out of netball for a long time. Um, so as everyone else started getting back in, I was still recovering from um, having issues with my kidneys. So then I then was put back out for another month. Um, so I kind of did the return to play a bit later. But um, yeah, it's so good to be back. And I think as soon as we actually picked up a ball, did anything netball, everyone just for the first five minutes was throwing balls everywhere, running everywhere because we were just too excited to be on the court. Yeah, you had your first kind of pre-season type game last week. So how was that getting back to an actual match action? Oh, it was so good. And to be fair, they so they've changed the rules. So instead of having 15-minute quarters, we're having 12. And thank God, because we definitely feel it after 12 minutes. God knows what it would be like for 15. But it was just so nice to have that contesting play. And like, I know netball's not a non-contact sport, but to be able to play against people who are just shoving you and it just fell back to normal, really. And uh, coming out with a win was just the icing on, like the cherry on top almost. Yeah, definitely. I think I was so excited going into the game. And I think as the whole team, we really just pulled together and I uh, like took calm. With, we were calm with the ball and just we knew what we wanted to do. And we definitely went out in there and did it, which I'm really glad about. Um, but yeah, we all absolutely loved it. So can obviously we, we, me and Charlie don't, and Tommy doesn't know much about netball and like the pathway to where you are now. So can you explain it to us and like people listening as well? Um, for me... Uh, before Seven because Seven Stars has been around for I think this is their fourth season. Uh, before Seven Stars was about, I was with Team Bath. Um, but so from when you're probably like year eight, I think it is, you have satellite, county, um, regional, and regional performance, and then you get into the England. So that that's like the normal pathway, but it's changed since then. So instead of regional performance you have nova academies which is seven stars so you develop them from very young ages into your club already so there'll be loads of different other ones i'm not sure what they're called for all the different clubs like manchester and uh london pulse but for me i started with bath uh, went up through the ranks through there and then as soon as seven stars was established it was a no-brainer because training was i just felt very family-based like everyone was there and wanting to help each other rather than one and up one upping each other and um the travel was so much shorter <laughs> trying to travel to bath th three four times a week was ridiculous um that was back when i was at school when i just had no time um whereas traveling up to worcester which is max 40 minutes it was just yeah no brainer really 
yeah, I was, I was similar to Jane. Um, so I started off Satellite County, but because I live in Western Supermare, my county is different. So I'm in Avon. So a lot of our training was like Bristol Bath based. Um, and then I was the year where we didn't have a regional. So the next level up was to step into either Seven Stars or Team Bath. So then I trialed for under 17s, got into there um, for Seven Stars. And then I've been traveling up and back ever since and worked my way up through Stars. And I've absolutely loved it. Um, and like Jane said, as soon as I came, I felt everyone was really welcoming, like a big family and you, everyone just wants everyone to learn and become the best that they can rather than it being, no, I need to be better than you. I need to be better than you. It's, it's actually very, a, a good family place. I've got a quick oh, question. Oh, go on. Go on <laughs> Why do you train in Gloucester, but play in Worcester? That's a question. Because uh, it seems like it's a bit counterproductive or is it to get more players involved? Um, we have... We've, we train in both so we'll have one training session in Gloucester one in Worcester and half of our games obviously in a normal season um would be in Worcester half of them are in Gloucester so it's changed over the past two years um so now more people in Gloucester can come and watch our games Tommy you're always overly concerned about the logistics aren't you <laughs> yeah, I, I just think it's important to know uh, didn't you have a player go to uh was it Bath on Saturday as well I, I heard um over the grapevine <laughs> Went to the wrong place. Uh, yeah, there was a bit of miscommunication. Someone thought the friend was in Bath, but it was all sorted. She was there before the game started, so wasn't too bad. Little bit, <laughs> little bit tense, but we managed to get through it. And yeah, she came eventually. <laughs> oh. a bit like when, by the way, forgot the kit when we were on the away day. That was that was horrible. <laughs> were you here then? Were you there, Tommy? No, I was. I was off, wasn't I? Yeah, so to explain because I don't think I've ever told this story basically we it was a two who were going to Bristol on it it was Bristol or somewhere locally well, it was know. Bristol or Bath and we were in the SU like where everyone, where you go before the game and I was, yeah. someone was like oh look after the kit so then I went to Adam Turner said oh look after this take it onto the bus obviously he didn't listen and then no one picked up the kit at all and we got to Bristol realised we didn't have the kit, and then we had to ring someone who was still in Gloucester to go and get the kit for us and drive it all the way to Bristol. Yeah. Yeah, that? oh, that's not good. Oh, got, wow. I got There's ruined. literally that, nothing... Everyone. Like, you can deal with not having boots or a gum shield, but not having your own kit is actually yeah. the most shocking thing. <laughs> I bet you have not lived that down. No, I got ruined by everyone that night. <laughs> I, can imagine. I don't yeah. think you got ruined enough, though, to be honest. I think that should still be going on now. Because it was like three weeks in a row because I kept doing stupid stuff for three weeks. It was like the first week it was when I lost Bolsey's key, uh, car keys. <laughs> yeah, and I then it was the kit. Well. And then it was something else. But yeah. Anyway, Are you sure it was only those three weeks that you'd be doing? I did something else as well, but I can't remember what it was. I mean, the hair. That was, that, that was ages. <laughs> the hair's fine. Anyway, anyway going back to Net <laughs> With the seven stars, there's... Obviously, you have the 10, is it that right? Who like the yeah. and what's and there's training partners, or is that yeah. so? Can you basically explain what that is? Because <laughs> it's quite confusing to someone who doesn't understand what's going on. So, just explain it, yeah, basically. Yeah, um, so, yeah, you go, go. <laughs> so, you have 10 players who are the contracted players that will be sort of like your core team, um, and then you have training partners which are there to sort of help the team develop help push everybody but then if something was to happen to one of those core 10 you can dip into the pool of the training partners to pull them up so 
on training on a game day you'd take your 10 but we've now due to covid expanded that and so um, we can dip into our training partners pool um, and bring more up to a game day obviously due to covid and to injuries but yeah in a normal season it means that you have five players that the, the league knows you can take from to to bring up on a game day that makes a lot of sense actually <laughs> yeah so like in training obviously if you only have 10 players and you want to try and do match play as well and you you obviously don't have enough because you need 14 and so having those training partners will help you will help players that are contracted to push further and be able to train and do match play and it, they're not just they they are players that are basically the same standard to you and they're the ones that actually are probably the ones that actually help you um get better and learn from your mistakes and you learn so much from training partners because that was what I was last season and um luckily this season I, I got the chance to step up and be in the 10 but definitely you learn a lot from training partners just because they're not quite contracting the 10 they're nothing less than what it is in training which I think is really good with stars but very much everyone's there for a reason just because one's in the 10 and one's a training partner no one gets less of a chance if that makes sense at training everyone's equal which is quite good yeah that was actually one of the questions we got on instagram was how did you find the journey to becoming in the 10 so you pretty much answered that then <laughs> yeah i mean the season last season was a bit hard but i pushed myself and i think melissa like the coach melissa she told me things that i needed to work on and needed to improve on and with only a short amount of time being with her and then obviously over lockdown i still worked on those things she saw how much how committed i was and I think that was, yeah, a big benefit of why I managed to step up into the 10 because she knew that I could would do what she said. Yeah, <laughs> not just do what I paid off. Yeah, it's definitely paid off for you. You can see that everything that she was working with you last year, that you, you've become a, a kind of blossomed as a player this season. I think it's only kind of go further for you. Thanks, Claire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is it a good environment having that training partner or, or is there a lot of, is it does it sometimes get a bit too competitive or are you both actually trying to push each other to be the best you can be I think we just we want to push everybody um I think as a training partner my mindset is you know yes I'd love to get on court someday but that's something in the future at the moment I'm part of the team I want to push the team as much as possible because at the end of the day they're going to be going up training playing against other people that are um, you know, com competitors, we need to win. So we need to create that setting in our training environment. And that's all that my focus is, is just to make training as difficult for them, but actually so that they can get the most out of it ready for a game day. I mean, like having Liana Leota, who's like <laughs> a living legend, having her as wing attack, same position as Chloe, you learn so much from yeah. her. She, she is nonstop talking about what to do, what ifs. And yeah, yeah just being a trainer partner, you learn so much off the yeah. others. I literally so follow her around yeah I like as soon as she does anything I'll be like sorry Leanne can I just ask you something and I just want to pick her brain 24 7. Yeah I didn't hear what you said so I'm sorry um that's Johnny Liotta's wife yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah anyway so what's kind of the relationship like between um Seven Stars and UOG Netball because obviously we're a UOG podcast so what's the relationship like between you girls playing for the uni and then going into the seven stars as well? Um, we're, so there's quite a lot of uh, UOG players, netball players actually are with seven stars, whether that's in VNSL with me, Chloe, um, or uh, just in the end of 21s as well. Uh, so I think uh, Alyssa, Charlie, there's like quite a few. And I think 
but it just helps us develop even more. So be playing with having training with your uni and then going into stars, you just develop more and you'd be able to be a, like the team is easier to play with. Almost it's, I'm trying to think of what I'm trying to say now. Um, I was trying to get to a point, but just by having extra training sessions with each other, it helps us develop as players and um, the connection's really strong. You see on Instagram, they're always bit like, put uh, tagging each other on Instagram and you can see um, how much they help each other. Um, yeah, pretty much. Mm. It's a real fluid relationship in terms of obviously playing for stars and then the uni trying to do training and matches. There's a lot of communication there. So I, we could end up training two, three times a day, every day. But if the, that communication wasn't there, but we they really focus on our us as athletes, and that's straight from the Super League all the way down to 19s. They'll just communicate between the uni between stars to make sure that we're getting the right amount of training, uh, but that we're not going to get burnt out, um, and that's really important. Mm. So, how do you kind of find the balance of being an athlete as well as a student? So, being a student athlete. <laughs> you have to be very organized that's something I found is like you have to make lists for everything or plan like the whole week um because otherwise you'll end up without like not having dinner or not actually doing your um your lectures your assessments you'll you'll forget to do the added things for training so it's just making sure that you know what's going to happen so it's not waking up and being like oh what do I fancy today oh yeah I'll, I'll do a bit of my assessment you kind of need to plan everything ahead to make sure that you hit the milestones that everything's achieved yeah I um I, I'm you you kind of need to learn what you're you're like so with assignments I get very stressed very easily I, I'm not a person that leaves at last minute for like I say I have one week left I'm very much a person that's I get I will get too stressed out so I've learned that I need to keep on doing like little little bits at each time to do my assignments within within training rather than leaving it all in one spot and again, just organisation. So if you know that, so I knew that the season was going to be starting in Feb. So I tried to make sure that everything was organised before that. So I made sure that all my assignments were done in January and um, knowing, yeah, you just got to see where it's going to clump up together with a lot of netball and prepared for that. So make sure you do your assignments or like do the lectures before um, so you don't get overloaded because yeah it's just organizing which sometimes I get a bit caught out but um yeah. doesn't everyone but uh yeah just knowing I mean I do even chose my mod modules I made sure I had more modules between September and December yeah, because I, I knew that same. we wouldn't have matches because now I've got less modules so then I'm not overloaded on assignments this semester hopefully <laughs> but yeah I wish I was that intelligent or stuff as as we're saying Obviously, we all know the best part about uni isn't the education, it's the Wednesday nights. How do you cope with training alongside the session and all that sort of stuff? I'm going to take back saying the sesh. How do yeah, you cope don't with say that again, out please. on a Wednesday? <laughs> um, uh, you've got to, because, well, it's, it's difficult because obviously I can't even remember the last time I went out on it, like on a night out, because it's been so long. Um, but you'd, we can still we just got to pace ourselves and we we when we can't be too silly because we got to be prepared for training on the next day and thursday because it's a late session up in worcester and if you're hungover then it's just not ideal so we still 
managed to, to like go to the socials with netball but because that doesn't go on too late and we just make sure that we just don't um yeah just don't get silly um yeah. but we can it's still, just balance it's, it's what, still enjoyable. yeah just doing what you can do best so when it I didn't really go to many socials last year because I was just so focused on my netball but anytime that I did go out it would just be okay I'm not going to drink tonight because I know that I've got training tomorrow or I've got England camp on the weekend so I can't drink but I can still go out until like midnight maybe one o'clock so then I can still sleep get recover um but still actually have that social life as well mm. What's uh? You're part of the England Roses Academy, I think it is, isn't it, Chloe? Yeah. Can you tell me a bit, like a bit about that? What is it? How many people are in it? Where is it? Stuff like that. Yeah. So last season I was in the under 19s. Um. So the Roses Academy is made up of an under 19 side and an under 17 side. Um. And then this season is looking at obviously 21s, but not much has been done about that yet, obviously due to these circumstances. Um. But yeah, last season, uh, last year it was really good. So we'd have a camp each month. Um, we'd drive up to Loughborough. We'd be there Saturday, Sunday, um, and it'd be really, really good. So we'd come together. I think it ended up like 70 athletes, but we'd split off, obviously, into 19s and um, under 17s. Um, and we would do a mat, like a training session morning and afternoon on a, on a um, Saturday and then a gym session and a match play on a Sunday. So it was really, really good, and I absolutely loved it. Have you both got aspirations to go on to sort of England's uh, uh, setup, or are you quite happy with where you're going, just enjoying what you're doing? Yeah, I think. Yeah, <laughs> I think for me, I've always said I just want to get as far as I can in netball. I think I never expected to get here, especially because of my height. And it's always been said, "Oh no, netball players are only ever tall." So I just thought, right, I'll go as far as I can and see what happens. Um, obviously, the end goal, yeah, would be England. Would be starting seven in the super league but it's just keep pushing as far as I can and wherever I get is um hopefully the highest I can go yeah for me I um when I was younger definitely my aspiration was play for England play for England play for England but I've learned to to just enjoy what where I am and what I'm doing um and just take take on whatever I can so this being part of the 10 is the best thing I've ever had and it's I've enjoyed it so much and i I wouldn't like this is where I want to be right now I mean if I do get the chance for England I'm obviously going to take it up but I'm not going to be striving and trying so hard to be in England almost I'm just going to focus on myself and trying to focus on the team that I'm with and just play to the best I can and then if that's if that catches an eye of a scout perfect that's then I'll go on to develop even more with England but yeah I'm just I'm very much focused on being with stars and being as the best player I can possibly be here. I thought Tom was going to ask something. <laughs> um, obviously, it started on Wednesday. I think there was the All Stars against England thing oh, that's on yeah. Sky. So, how important do you think it is to have some top level netball on TV that everyone can watch? So it's not just people who are people might be flicking through the channel and say, oh, I might watch this, there's, there's live sport on. And when there's not much live sport, how important do you think it is that netball is being played? So, it's so, so important. important. Mm. It's, um, netball's just not very popular as, because it not it's just known for not being popular and having it on Sky and people being able to watch it and having that choice of being able to watch it just means it can, it can expand and develop even more. Um, so 
what was it after the Commonwealth Games when we won it down in Australia that it just skyrocketed like the participation everything but um yeah I, I yeah it's just having that having COVID kind of dipped it down because hardly people could no one could train no one could take it up for it and by having that sport on TV people get still able to watch it even though they can't play it so yeah I think it's so important yeah and it's definitely good for like the younger players because you know, if you're if you're young doing football, if you're doing rugby, you see it on the TV all the time. And you're like, oh yeah, I want to do that. I want to go to train. I want to do this. So actually, now that netball's on TV for younger girls, it's just gonna the next level, the next generation of kids, hopefully, is gonna just boost the popularity of the sport. Yeah, I think it's important because we've done a lot of stuff when we spoke to Ella from Cheer about how it's not really well received of pe- young people getting into some women's sports at the moment because it's just not they're not popular in school or they're not popular just in the mainstream media like cheer kind of has a bit of a negative reputation so I think it's mm-hmm. great for to see different sports and like some different sports like netball on sky sports just so people can sit down and watch it and kind of learn something new like like me and Charlie said at the start like we don't know much about netball but it's always great to learn something new about a different sport yeah, yeah definitely. definitely so We've got a few questions on it from Instagram. So okay. I'll go through some of them and then Tommy can ask some of them because I don't <laughs> want to. Um, so one of them is, is it easy to tra- easy or harder to train with music? And what kind of music do you like to listen to when you're training? So before training, well, people at the- <laughs> in the team, there's quite a, di- a variation of what people like to listen to. Um, I mean, what was it before training last night? What was the song they played? Oh, I have no idea. It was like a like a slow, chill ballad, like just not what I really wanted before training. But some of the girls prefer to be chill before, so they're calm. But so yeah, there's a different mix. For me personally, I like to have something that's a bit more upbeat and kind of pump me ready for the for a game. So like before, so before game, before we even change shooters can go and do some shooting beforehand so you'll notice that our shooters will probably have headphones in or um earphones in and we'll be listening to music so the music that i listen to is definitely upbeat ready pumping me for the game um but training yeah we do have a lot very <laughs> variation of what they play um i think it helps me what songs are on your playlist then oh god um um just like you know, like sassy songs, like proper girly sassy songs. Um, so like Demi Lovato and like yeah. Rihanna and Ariana, just yeah. ones that would kind of make you feel, I don't know, powerful. I think that <laughs> might sound a bit sad. No judgment. I think it just helps me feel yeah. like, yeah, uh, I should be here. Yeah, I've I'm actually ready. heard um, heard that you're quite into Whitney Houston on a match day. Oh wow! Well, Whitney, is, I've got my car. So my car's quite old, and um, I have a CD player. And one of the CDs is just Whitney. It's just her, all of her songs, and we're all. I always play it on the way to training, and I will, yeah, sing my heart out before training. So, yeah, she's great. I love her. Nice. <laughs> oh, it is funny. You back, Clem? Yeah. Sorry, I don't know what happened. I'm just connected to my three G. Hopefully, that's. That's all right. So we just asked Jane what's on her like pre-match playlist. So what's on your like music playlist before okay. a game? Um, 
yeah I love like history I'm a throwback bangers nice. kind of person um so anything that's like uplifting but also like old old school so then it's kind of when you listen to it and you're like oh and you just you're like this is an absolute tune and then that'll get me pumped because I'm thinking this is just a great song um and then I get really like the adrenaline will rush and then I'll be ready to go it's a lot better than our 13 films, Charlie. <laughs> the, the amount of awful songs right. that are on stuff Nick we listen Kierhan, to. Isn't it? Charge of the tunes, usually. Yeah. What song? Yeah, it's Nick Kierhan's fault. It's just stuff that Kierhan yeah. listens to. Like, you, it's just, it's, he like listens to either really drum and bass heavy. Most of the time. It's either really heavy drum or bass or something really like. Drum or bass. Like the oh. complete opposite. It's just. <laughs> shut up. Anyway, yeah, but yeah, our music tastes are awful. <laughs> Tommy, did you start speaking? Speak for yourself. What do you want me to say something? I thought you. I just. <laughs> I just thought you were about to say something. That's all. I can say something if you like. Go on then. Uh, we've had a question from someone who lives with you. Uh, can you tell us about Goosey? <laughs> That's oh, the Who asked that? <laughs> Uh, oh, you said, oh, you said there'd be, be a question. It, it can't be any one of them, to be fair, asking that. Um, so, Goosey, Goosey Lucy is her name, and she's my pet goose, um, and she is amazing. I, she is my number one fan. Uh, <laughs> I'll go out and shoot in the garden, and she's always there running around. Um, yeah, she's good. She's, um, I don't really know what to really say about her. <laughs> um, so, is, so is she actually a, a, your pet then or is it just something that your family have that follows you around it, she is my pet so like in summer when we'll leave the door open because we live in like we live in a field so it's fine we can just leave the door open um she'll waddle in into the kitchen and just <laughs> be around with us um you've been on zoom yeah, calls and goosey lucy's just wandered in and you're like oh <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, when we had Zoom calls, they were locked down. Um, yeah, she'll just come and pop her holder and she'll say hello. I've had awful experiences with geese. They all they, they they are actually mental. They will attack anyone. So they're quite likely to get one tame. Yeah, she's she's not very tame. She's quite sassy. She she'll do what she wants. Um, she doesn't really like getting picked up, but I like to pick her up. Um, so that's probably why she's sassy. But she doesn't actually go at people, or she'll do. You walk past her if she's in a mood. You walk past her, she'll just hiss at you, and there'll be no reason for it. Um, but no, that she's geese. Yeah, she doesn't. She doesn't actually attack. <laughs> but if I feel like if I had a gander, like a boy, boy goose, yeah, he'll be. He would have definitely probably attacked me by now. I've genuinely <laughs> broken my finger because of a goose. Maybe uh, I started getting chased chased by one on a on a walk. Nice little lovely day, leisurely walk. Got chased by one, tripped over a wall, broke my finger. So the goose didn't make you break your finger. You just fell over and broke your finger. No, the goose the you goose chased scared. me. The goose chased me through the field. They're huge. Have you seen the size of them? You probably don't get them in Manchester, but you only get pigeons, really, isn't it? But yeah. I got bitten by a pelican once. <laughs> Yeah. How, how have you been bitten by a pelican? Of course. Um, it was when I was in Australia and I was just like walking along and there was one like on a weird little path and I went, I was only like 10 and I went over <laughs> and I like, turned around and the pelicans went like that. Bit me. <laughs> weird, weird experience. Okay. Oh, mess with the pelicans. Yeah, clearly. Um, so we've got a couple more questions. Well, um, if I don't, don't know if you're into rugby that much, but 
if you could support any team in the Premiership, who would it be? Or do you support any team in the Premiership? And who is it? Why is it? Um, my boyfriend really, really loves uh, Bristol Bears. So nine times out of ten, Good choice. I'll be watching Bristol Bears. Um, I went and watched them play one of the charity games against, I think it was like the military, it must have been the Air Force. Yeah. Um, but that was good. Um, so yeah, it'd be Bristol Bears. Me and Charlie ride oh. about rugby in Bath, <laughs> Bath, Brist, Bath, Bristol area. So yeah, we quite like Bristol. Well, I like them more than <laughs> <laughs> can't stop talking about it, can that's you? That's acceptable Sam? then, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good answer. Okay. It's not a good answer. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I've got to say, uh, well, seeing as I worked at the stadium, it's got to be Gloucester. Um, I, um, yeah, <laughs> sorry, well, and my dad's a real fan. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't not support them. I think I'd be, yeah, I'd be kicked out of my own house if I was the case. Um, but yeah, seeing as I worked at the stadium, I always watched them. Yeah. I've worked at this since I was 16, so yeah. Fair enough. Are, are either of you football fans at all? Or is that just um, not, not, not fair I'll watch football. I'll watch it, but... I'll watch it, but I prefer rugby. Yeah. Perfect. I'm Correct not answers. just saying that because you're rugby lads. <laughs> <laughs> More enjoyable. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah, perfect. So thank you both for joining us. It's been really interesting for us to learn about a new sport that we don't really know about. So, yeah, thanks a lot for joining us and enjoy the rest of your days. Thanks for having me. Thank Perfect. You and good luck for the rest of the season as well. Thank you. thank you. No worries. So, thank you to Jane and Chloe for joining us. It was really informative for us. Um, you heard Tommy in during that chat, and he's still here for the little nausea section of the podcast, actually, when we actually talk about rugby. But this week, there's been no rugby action. The Premiership's been pushed back for two weeks. So, no games last weekend, no games this weekend. Um, but some of the international squads have started to be announced for the Six Nations. Wales and Scotland have been announced and England is going to be announced this afternoon, but obviously not right now. Um, so, But there's been rumours for that, so we'll talk about that in a minute. But first of all, just quickly about Wales and Scotland. Um, it seems like they're both going to be in camp for the whole of the Six Nations without being released back to the squads and the premiership teams. Is that right, isn't it, Charlie? I believe so, and I think it's slightly reduced numbers as to usual. Um, yeah, yeah, reduced numbers. I think obviously it's frustrating for the Premiership. Sure, they could do anything else with the situation. Probably best have everyone in the bubble. All those teams that will get players called up for new caps potentially, who were kind of a key part of this season for the side. Well, it'll be interesting to see how everyone copes and it'll be good to yeah. have international rugby back. Yeah, I don't think there are um, many new caps in either squad, actually. I think there's there was one in Wales, but I just can't remember. Um, there was one in Wales, this squad. And I, there's obviously Cam Redpath in Scotland, in Scotland squad. He's chosen to pick going to Scotland instead of England after being called up a couple of years ago to Eddie Jones's squad before he fucked his knee. But yeah, that's that's a big um, win for Scotland, that getting someone of his class, because he's been pretty outstanding in that Bath back line this year. And he's kind of, when Bath has struggled, he's been one of the shining lights and he's been named in a couple of pundits team of the season so far. So a very much deserved call up for him. But I think Wales's squad... The big talk before it was about if they were going to include Reese Priestland, but they haven't. They've gone for Big Ashidi and Jared Evans, which is 
probably not a massive surprise, but the rumours with Priestland were about if he would have been able to go back to the weird cap rule that they have, which I don't really know what it's about, but he's not in. He's still a Bath player for now, but all the chat is that he's leaving. But it'd be interesting to see what happens in the Six Nations. I think, obviously, Wales aren't on form at all, so it'll be interesting to see how much they cope coming back, playing the home nations instead of having Georgia and Fiji to be well they didn't even play Fiji but yeah I think it'll be good for them to get a Six Nations under their belts properly because mm. obviously it was a bit hit and miss last time with obviously cancelled games kind of not disrupting them because they weren't exactly playing well but mm. it'll be like he gets a proper opportunity to like see them gel a bit more perhaps and I think well, you think surely they can't be as bad as they were in like the Autumn Nations Cup, <laughs> the last Six Nations. But as Englishmen, I'm not sure we're too bothered if they are or not. Um, but I think in regards to Scotland, I think Cameron Redpath is a phenomenal. Is coop the word? I'll go with coop. Yeah, coop. Yeah. Um, because yeah, he's got all the marks of being an absolute worldly mm. player. I think. He's a like serious he's, talent. Yeah. Exactly. Like in Bath's attack this season, he's kind of been almost the linchpin of it in some ways. Because, and he's, he's not no slouch in defence either, from what I've seen. So mm. I think Eddie's missed out a bit there. Yeah, I he's, think he's, he's missed. He's a big yeah, lad. And he's it a is a bit well. confusing. Cause, yeah. And you, th- you look at England centres and you think, Yes, obviously, we've got lots of fly halves, which means Farrell's likely to play inside centre. But then there isn't, when Manu's out and we move Farrell to 10, there isn't an abundance of talent inside yeah. centre. So I think Redpath <coughs> would have been a great little great um, addition, to the squad. addition to the squad in a way. Yeah, he would. Um, there's also a couple of others in Scotland squad, not new caps, but a couple from. Premiership, who've been playing really well. Like Scott Steele is named in the squad and he's been standing out a bit for Quinns while Quinns have struggled. Well, Charlie said Quinns are getting the top top four. I'm not sure how that's going to last now with Paul Gustard leaving. But yeah, Scott Steele's been playing well. Is he frozen again? Yeah, I don't think he's <laughs> there. Oh, he's there now. Did you hear any of that? Then you've got Alex. I did, yes. Just not very well. Um, well, I heard you talk about Scotland. You've also got Gloucester's Alex Craig coming back in, who's been quite quite a big presence in the engine room of their team this year, but obviously not quite got the results. But I think he that is a good reward for him because he's worked hard and he's been quite versatile in moving from the second row to mm-hmm. the back row. And I think in a smaller squad as well for Scotland, that's is he uncapped? a use, useful asset. Sam? He is uncapped. Hello? He is uncapped. He is uncapped. He's uncapped. Cool. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> this is a mess. Um, yeah, so obviously England's not been announced yet, but that's happening today, we think. And there's been rumours <laughs> about a few players coming in. Paolo Adogwu. Thoughts? Incredible man. Yeah, put him in. If, if they can play him properly... 
and and which I'm sure Eddie Jones can do, then 100% he'll have a place in that team. If he just hides on the wing and does nothing, then you might as well get players that will actually go looking for the ball. Is Noel uh, still injured? Yeah, till the end of the season, I think. I think that's that's a that's a key thing we've seen from a dog grew in the wasp side that he has been popping up all over the shop for them, which is why he's been such a success because he gets the ball in half a yard of space and he can hit a gap and show his pace. So I think he's still only 23, he's quite young, but I think definitely exciting to see him go to England. Obviously, it would have helped Italy, but then for all those Italians that have been working hard. <laughs> over the years to get in that squad and then for maybe a dog route to come straight in. Obviously, he does qualify, but it'd be a bit out of nowhere. But I think he's one that if England do select him, it's a, a good one for the future. Well, I find weird how he's just rose so much because he was awful at sale. Like, genuinely shit at times. But And I, I saw him play for Sale FC, like the National League team, and he didn't stand out there. Like, and he's now he's gone from that to England, Virgin of England call up that fair play. Sam, are you he... whispering? No. All right. <laughs> just got a lovely soft tone to his voice. Um, Sorry. What was I going to say? I'd like to see Anthony Watson in fullback finally. Any thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> what are you being, Sam? Um, I would like, yeah. I'd agree with that. I think Anthony Watson needs to be given a proper go at fullback for England and Six Nations is probably a good opportunity to get a run of games. I think Daly, as much as Sam doesn't like him, has been quite good over the last few years filling in there. Um, but I think it's probably now time to really push on Watson and Malins at fullback. Yes. Yeah. You've got a World Cup coming up and... Bailey's not exactly old, but you'd How old want... is he? Is he like 26, 28? Uh, I think oh. probably about 28. Probably about 28, I'd say. Um, but I think, yeah, Watson is good under the high ball. He offers threat in broken field, which I think is probably quite a good little attribute to have at international level, particularly when it's a lot of kicking and... Yeah. He's a solid yeah. England player as well. Like he's done it before. For I don't know how many caps he's got, but he's been in the squad. He's been a Lions player as well. So I think he, I think he'd fit quite well. But he does do well on the wing though as well. Like I'm not sure who we've got in wingers. Uh, but, millions, millions of wingers. Oh, we do actually. There's a lot. A dogger is one of them actually. We've just been talking about. And the only Ollie Thorley and people like that that are also. Pushing. The only problem with Watson is like he's not on form with Bath. Like he's and Bath fans say it a lot that he doesn't seem to play to hit the level he can is capable of in a Bath team. But he does but bring it to that, England. I think you see that with a lot of England players though. I think they come back to yeah. their clubs and you expect them to be these miracle workers that'll really galvanise a team if they're out of form. I think the only person that really offers that out of the whole England squad going back to their club is George Ford because he's so integral to how Leicester play. But I think that, yeah, is just the case for a lot of players that they are expected to be sensational because obviously they're playing playing up a level at Six Nations International. But 
Yeah. Yeah. The other uh, room. It's just how it goes. The other rumor is that Harry Randall is going to get caught up instead of I Ben Spencer. Should, I think they should call Harry Randall up to keep him in England. Yeah, that's that's the, th- the point of this. You cap him to keep him away from Wales. I don't think he's fully ready yet, but you give him a cap. Because, but I also don't think I think he should be in the, the squad. But I also think Ben Spencer should be there. Me and Charlie have spoken about this a lot. That Ben Spencer should be England's nine. But he, Eddie Jones just, just seems to have. He'll go for Dan Robson. Yeah, you know, you'll go for Ben Youngs and Dan Robson. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. Ben Ben Youngs a bit of a no-brainer for Eddie anyway. He needs to go now. I think Ben Young. He's he's a great player. You know, he's been you great. Can't, you can't drop him because he's actually played quite well for England recently. Yeah, I, I still think he's, he's um, very good. It just depends what you want to do. Because is he going to be around for the next World Cup? You can probably say no. Really. He's another leader that help help those players come in. Yeah, you just need to do it periodically, but you need to have Ben Spencer in your England squad. But you look at the way England play, and it's just Ben Youngs to a T if they yeah. kick it and play defensively. And you've got Robson to come off the bench, or Robson or Spencer, because they're kind of live wire players that they can just create something out of nothing. Like Ben Youngs, obviously, is a very good, instinctive player. But he offers a bit more stability to the other two, I'd say. Yeah. I'd say out of the out of the three, probably it goes young Spencer Robson in terms of mm. maybe how Eddie would like to play. But I think Eddie doesn't see Spencer playing above Youngs, which is probably the issue. Yeah. Then Robson's... Randall playing very well. So I think, yeah, just cap him, but is a waste looking forward to the World Cup. Um, Robson, but... Spencer and Randall are very much very similar players in the way they can just spark something from nothing. Like you saw how Randall played against the Chiefs through the week, and he just, the tapping goes, sorry, Tommy, the tapping goes, um, just making distance, as well as he's, he's fucking hard in defence. Like, he just stands up and just hits everything. But it's just, it's, it's that's, I think scrum half, the most, scrum half and flank are the most difficult positions to pick in an England team at the moment, I'd say. The thing that you've also got with Ben is with either George well, Ford or Farrell. Sorry. Yeah, we actually first name terms now. Uh, with either Farrell or Ford, you know that they're, they're both a good pair. They worked well together. They have done over the years. Whereas if you get a new scrum half in there, sometimes it can be quite difficult. Like you have to have that awareness of each other. Mm. Um, uh, but that shouldn't stop anyone from picking uh, a new player to join in the team, you know. Yeah. But it's just an interesting one. I think I would find it bizarre. I'd find it bizarre if it wasn't just kind of a capping exercise with Harry Randall, because yeah. you look at how his how Eddie's gone about picking his nines over the last few years, and obviously Danny Care has still been probably at his best over the last few years, but he's just not really had a look in with Eddie Jones. But then he's gone for like Willie Hines, and it's just. If he picks Harry Randall, that's just a bit of kicking the teeth, I think, for Danny Kerr, really. Yeah. Well, it you could think... be a new trio, uh, a new double. Uh, so you could get in a new fly half, say, perhaps maybe someone like Simmons. You, you, uh, won't, for, you won't in a 28 man squad. Oh, Marky Smith. Um, but get either of those two that, you know, you've got a few options there to get in with Harry Randall or some of the other upcoming scrum halves as well to get a new pairing. Imagine how class a nine ten of either Spencer and Smith or Randall and Smith would be. Or Simmons. It'd be yeah, carnage. Yeah. It'd be good. 
anyway, I think that's enough about a squad that we don't actually know what's happening yet. But um, yeah, the one last thing before we go and go on to the quiz. Obviously, Saracens haven't played, and lots of England's best players are in the Saracen squad. So how does Eddie go about getting them back up to speed of playing top level rugby when they haven't played for? I reckon long, he's been long time. There. I reckon he's been in that ear the whole time, telling them to keep fit and stuff. You th- do think, you think you pick less Saracens players? No, they'll be absolutely fine. I think it's a load of rubbish, to be honest. Yeah, I uh, think it's actually almost better for them because I think how rested they're going to be. Because you look at how like players reacted to coming back after the lock first lockdown. It's like everyone will be pretty similar, and. It's not like you, the likes of Owen Farrell, Patoje, Jamie George have all just been sat on the sofa eating custard creams for the whole whole of lockdown. So I think they'll be fine. I like you, by the way. Nice. Oh, I polished off a pack by myself the other day. It was shameful. <laughs> I think they also know that they're they're going to have to put in an absolute shift as well because if they don't. Then that's going to be there's going to be not only the media against them, but there's going to be teammates against them. Like, well, maybe yeah. not teammates, you know, the, the crowd and stuff. Like, they need to perform if they're going to be in that squad, and that, I they'll know if, that as well. And I you've think got Billy the Lions needs... tour coming up, they want to be on that plane wherever it's going. A bit of Billy, yeah. go. we need to have that conversation at some point, maybe next week. So, um, thanks, Tommy, for joining us for that nausea section, and now it's time for the quiz, and I think. It's Charlie's turn to ask me this week. Hopefully, Charlie's got his questions sorted. And I think, of what's the score so far? Currently three all, actually, after a Three all, because I had a shocker last week. So yeah, I was slightly hung over. Um, but uh, anyway. Very much an understatement. Question one. Uh, a few weeks ago, we saw one of the greatest moments in rugby history when, um, I can't remember his name, but it was French second division. Yep. Big Fijian player lifts up the referee. Mm-hmm. He's be he's faced a disciplinary reaction this week. How many weeks has he been banned for? I speak, he's been banned for five weeks, I believe. He has, he has. Yeah. That that was my uh, wildcard question, as I just had to think of that. <laughs> nice. You got away with that. So, question two: How many COVID positives did Bath reportedly think they had? Wait, so what they actually have or what they got reported? What it was, what what the fuck up was, how many oh, they thought they had in which they, they had to close Bolly House. They thought it was 19 positives, wasn't it? Is that your final answer? Yes. Oh, it's correct. I've not, I've not done... <laughs> right, they get harder, hopefully. They get harder. Um, so the son of your best mate, Cameron Redpath, yeah. was called up to the Scotland squad this week. But uh, what country was he born in? Or where was he born? I know this exactly, I think. He was born in France, but he was actually born in Narbonne, I think, as well. Oh, you're such a nose. I like how you call him my best mate. I just know him slightly. Oh, I texted him yesterday see what was happening. Um, question four. Um... We saw, well, the next two are related to DORs and the movement we've seen in the Premiership Ooh. recently. Uh, Paul Gustard left Harlequins this week. Mm-hmm. Immediate effect, very dramatic. Um, so who was 
Paul Gustard's co-captains in his Fuck. first season at the Stoop. Rob Shaw and Brown? That is wrong. Is it Karen and Brown? James Horwell and Rob Shaw. Fair enough. Which makes very little sense because they're both forwards. Yeah, you'd think so, you'd split it, wouldn't you? And then final question. Yeah. Anyway, uh, final question. Your favourite club, Sale. Yeah. Got their man this week of Alex Anderson from Sarries. But how many trophies did he win in his time at Sarries? Oh, fuck. Um... Seven. The answer is nine. Oh, fuck. Uh, they won hot. five premiership titles, three Champions Cups, and one L. Oh, shit. I always forget about the LV Cup. Oh. I, also ca- I also counted it wrong on my hands. I counted, went seven, and I actually put eight fingers up, so I don't know what I did there. Intelligence. Right. So that was three for me. So that puts my score onto six for the quiz. And yeah, so thanks for that, Charlie. We'll be doing another one of them next week. It'll be your turn. Tommy, thank you again for joining us for a longer bit of a segment this week, joining us for the netball chat as well. And that was nice. So thank you to Jane and Chloe for joining us as well, as well as thank you to Will for chatting to us on Wednesday. So that's this has been episode six. And join us next week where we'll have more professionals on and we're moving up in the world again. And hopefully we'll be hopefully we'll be talking to a referee again next week. Hopefully. So yeah, fingers crossed for that and see you all next week. Cheers. Bye.